0: Welcome to SPEW, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome.
1: I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Cadabby, has nonverbal autism.
0: And I now call this 44th meeting of SPEW to order. Lavender.
1: Hello, Queerness.
0: How are you guys doing today?
1: Not too bad. Not too bad. We all slept like rocks last night, so today's pretty
0: good. Good. I've I've been busy. I had 14 classes this month and 14 next month.
1: Oh, wow. I told you once it got nicer, it was gonna pick up.
0: Well, it's mostly these kids' summer classes, which... Kids are fine, I guess. It's the parents who won't just like drop their kids and leave. <laughs> the helicopter parents. No, they just kind of like I don't know. They they just hang around and like, do I just drop them? Do I have to sign them in? This is their name. They're on this class. I was like, okay. I, I, I don't care what your name is. I don't. I mean, I kind of don't care what their name is. <laughs> just drop your kids and leave. I'm just here to paint. <laughs> Birthdays in July, nothing in the first half, but there's two big ones in the the ending of July. July 30th is Neville Longbottoms and July 31st is Harry Potter's. The true Gryffindors. And someone else's who we will not mention. You know, we never really find out what the three things that their parents did to Voldemort was.
1: No, just that they defied him three times.
0: (laughs) What does that even mean? It, it almost feels like... is that what it was? Yeah. I think it's it's almost like Dumbledore didn't even know. It was just... Voldemort seemed to know and that's all that really mattered. That's
1: a perfect way to sum up the entire book series.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Deaths in July. Got the McKinnons, which were members of the original order. And then Alistair Moody and Hedwig on the 27th. Mm,
1: sad. So what are we talking about today, Queerness?
0: Today, we're going to be talking about... Some pseudoscience and alternative medicines and treatments and, you know, the fun stuff. (laughs) The fun stuff. Before we really get started, I I have just a couple quick differences between science, pseudoscience, and anti-science. Which, I'm not really sure I've ever heard anyone say anti-science in real conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But science is backed by scientific evidence pseudoscience uses claims that use scientific sounding words presents theories no real evidence to back it up but generally uses a lot of testimonials Mm -hmm. pseudoscience is not necessarily wrong but generally it's not good or bad it just kind of Exists. (laughs) Sometimes it can be bad, but generally it sits on that cusp of just not actually working. And then anti science is more of relying on faith and not actually being backed by any kind of science whatsoever.
1: Okay, so keep that in mind as we go forward.
0: (laughs) Most of what we're going to be talking about today are things that generally have, just don't have a lot of research, but some of these have been definitely disproven. The first one here that we want to talk about is actually actually the one that I found that made me want to talk about this subject. It's called facilitated communication. This was first used by Rosemary Crossley in 1977. It is basically just the idea of a facilitator, placing their hands on an autistic person's arm. Now, this is specifically for nonverbal people who generally can't communicate in any other form. (laughs) Basically, the facilitator helps guide their arm in order to type messages. This is actually very similar to something we saw on, I think it was Autism the Sequel. It might have been in the first one, in Autism the Musical, where the main character's son, they used something like this, like he couldn't quite press the buttons, so there was someone like holding his elbow to help him press the buttons.
1: Yeah, she was like stabilizing his elbow is the way she described it, if I remember correctly. She was like stabilizing it so he would have an easier time hitting the buttons on his communication device on the iPad.
0: The difference though is in that we definitely saw him able to communicate in some ways completely on his own. It was only when they were trying to get a little more specific and like using letters that they needed someone to help him guide his hand just a little bit better. The difference here is the people that they are using this on don't demonstrate any other self-started communication. This is entirely a facilitator helping guide their hands and I want to be clear that the facilitator, in most of these cases, genuinely believes that the person they are helping is the one guiding it and that they are simply helping them. Mm -hmm. However, this has been discredited as an example of ideomotor effect, which is the same thing that makes a Ouija board work. It's basically just you're moving subconsciously. You don't know you're the one moving it, but you are. In 1994, the American Psychological Association, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, American Speech, Language, Hearing Association, and the International Society of Augmentative and Alternative Communication all released statements against using facilitated communication. Basically, they can't prove that this is actually the person communicating and not the facilitator. That being said, between 1990 and 2018, there have been 12 cases in which facilitated communication has been used in abuse allegations. Hmm. Of these cases, about five of them were just dismissed due to lack of any evidence that anything took place, as well as the lack of scientific backing that facilitated communication is anything. The rest of the cases, and I found this interesting because These are all separate cases, all separate judges, but in all of these cases, the judge requested a double-blind test that basically they would show a series of objects or um, give a series of questions to the subject and their facilitator. And every time one of these tests was conducted, they found that the only time they received any kind of meaningful responses is when the facilitator also knew the question. So while there haven't been any real large-scale studies on this, these small-scale studies have proven that it does not work. And then this is often connected to rapid prompting method, which I'm not fully sure I understand. It's basically you give a statement, and then you ask them to answer a question about that statement. The example I kept seeing was something like you say the chair is red, and then you ask them, what color is the chair? And you give them, like, cards with two different options on it. Mm-hmm. And you get them to answer the question, and you slowly build on that to the point that somehow you can start using a keyboard. Yeah. And basically this is discredited just due to the fact that it overuses prompts to the point that there is no free communication here. They're basically just repeating back what you've said to them. So there there is no communication it's just rep- repetition so talk about all of that to talk about the book the reason i jump which <laughs> i had never heard of you had like asked me about it and i looked into it and boy is there a lot of discussion about this there's also a, a documentary based on the book
1: yeah in a movie i think like like an actual the
0: it, the movie is a documentary it looks like, I don't know, based on the trailer, it looks like it's more like an audiobook with a bunch of weird documentary style footage edited around it. But the book is attributed, and this is where I where this first caught my attention is it's attributed to Naoki Higashida and was published in 2013. The book was written using both facilitated communication, rapid prompting, with his mother as his facilitator. The argument here is that Naoki has never been able to communicate outside of these methods. These are the only way that they've gotten any communication out of him. And a psychologist, Jens Hellman, said that basically the book reads to resemble what it would be very close to an autistic parent's dream. So basically, the mother wrote this book even though she does not think she did.
1: Is the conclusion.
0: It's it's very sad. Also, I just wanted to point out that the English translation, which is by British author David Mitchell and his wife Kiko Yoshida, who also have an autistic child, and also David Mitchell the author, not David Mitchell the comedian. They are the ones that translated the book, and it's been kind of under fire for basically allowing their beliefs to heavily influence the translation. So, which that's kind of any translation, a little bit of that kind of happens, but right. especially, especially with going from Japanese to English. Japanese is very, it's very hard to translate over to English. It, it's don't, don't bother with that one. <laughs> Please just don't. <laughs> one of the other things that I just wanted to talk about in this category, though, is just fad diets and the most common diets you talk about casein-free and gluten-free, so you're basically just eliminating bread and milk, and then a lot of others eliminate sugar and artificial flavors. All are just feeding your kid cardboard, you realize. (laughs) They already aren't eating well enough, and then you're just, like, taking away all the good food. But basically, this is one of those things where there isn't a whole lot of strong evidence-based science to back this up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence. As such, most sci- most doctors are not going to tell you to not do it at all, but they'd tell you to use caution and that there isn't any science to really back it. Mm-hmm. The most common explanation for why these work is because you're treating some other digestive issue that the child can't really communicate to you, uh, which... does have some backing to it. When I was in middle school, I had some of the worst heartburn. I would come home every day and, like, take two to three times. And that's only partly because it's, like, candy. (laughs) So the idea that there's some sort of digestive discomfort isn't crazy. No. Um, But the one thing that most doctors are going to tell you if you do ask them about this is that... that make sure that they are still getting enough nutrients, so you're probably having to use supplements and stuff to make sure they get enough nutrients on top of eating cardboard.
1: Yeah, but in our experience, um, Abby wasn't exactly eating healthy beforehand. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, we've always had to give her vitamins, like a multivitamin.
0: Yeah. The next one, I thought I was going to be able to find something on this. Magnets. These magnet bracelets do nothing. (laughs) That's, that's all I got for you. I, I thought I would find a whole treasure trove of information on this. Uh, people explaining the pseudoscience. No, it just these magnet bracelets do nothing. That being said, I was able to find something about transcranial magnetic stimulation.
1: Wow, that sounds fancy.
0: Well, it is. This is a real thing. This is the idea of basically putting electromagnet stimulators on the skull and stimulating certain parts of the brain with magnets it's being used to treat a whole bunch of different things but mainly extreme depression so this is still very heavily being studied and is not like fully a treatment that would be recommended but it is a very promising real thing that is showing promising results
1: i have seen i've seen it be used on um people that suffer from you know, multiple seizures in a day? I've seen it and I've seen it... I mean, at least in the documentary I watched, it looked very promising. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so this is actually a real thing that can be used to treat some things, but don't get this confused with other types of magnet treatment, because it's not the same thing.
1: No. Magnetic bracelets are not the same. And
0: then a next little category I got here is just using pressure for various reasons. So... I just wanted to talk about prone restraint again. This is just the idea of holding a person face down. Um, it's generally used when people are having some sort of episode and you're trying to control them. It is generally used in hospitals, schools, daycare, places like that. There are states that have outlawed it. There are states where you have to like report every time something like this is used. This is problematic. It doesn't help Very. anyone. It, it, it hurts... The person doing it hurts the person receiving it. Twenty kids have died since 2001 from this. I think we we reported on one just like two years ago. Mm-hmm. This, this is this is just a dumb. Don't do this. The film music by Sia like had a whole scene where they were like advocating for this because Autism Speaks told them to. Ugh. Just this is bad. We, we, we need to be aware that this is a thing that happens and make sure that... I would get- go
1: even further than that and say that if you do live in a state where this is allowed in... If you're a parent and you live in a state where this is allowed in your child's school or daycare, you I would highly suggest to you that you get it in written that they are not to restrain your child. Because if you don't mention it up front, it's an automatic... It's that's kind of like the go-to for how they will handle meltdowns. And Abby, when she was still in public school, this was very much a thing. And this is another big reason we ended up pulling her out of public is because we were told that, you know, this is just the way it was. This is how they handled these kids. But if my daughter is having a meltdown and she is self-injurious, which is one of her Something that she does. She will hit herself or bite herself. If she is self-injurious and you try to restrain her from that, guess what? That just makes her even more mad. (laughs) And it always escalated the behavior from where she was just being self-injurious to, you know, they're trying to restrain her and hold her and contain her to now it's escalated to a full, you know, aggression episode where she's... She was trying to go after other people, but she was only doing that when restrained because she doesn't want to be restrained. (laughs) No. So we have figured out now that if she does have a self-injurious behavior, which still happens, but not as frequently as they used to since we've pulled her out of public school, we do block it. I mean, of course, you know, we block it with our hands where she would hit her face and that's it. And guess what? It typically is over so much faster than if we would have tried to restrain her and hold her arms down and ugh. Like, there's, there's really not any benefits to it. No. The kid hates it. The person doing the restraining hates it. The person doing the restraining typically can't even do a restraint correctly, and they end up getting hurt. And it doesn't de-escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. So, my advice to parents if you live in a state where this happens, get it in writing that you don't want it to happen to your kid, or else they will default to it. Sorry, had to get that out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then this one's just. I thought this was more related than it actually turned out. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy. This is literally putting kids in a hyperbaric chamber. The idea is to increase oxygen to the brain. This is based on the idea that there's inflammation in the brain that's never been proven the there have been multiple studies on this most studies show no results some studies show maybe the possibility of a positive result but there's a lot more negative side effects and not enough positive side effects with this one mm. you've got temporary myopia middle ear injuries lung collapses Increased likelihood of seizure activity. Oh my god. Could result in oxygen poisoning and damage to the sinuses. Obviously, this stuff's not going to be, like, super common. But this is one of those cases where the negative side effects outweigh the positive ones. So. And this is still... I found one site that is still very much claiming that this is the cure. I found another... Um, study that's actually it was supposed to take place in 2020, so I don't know it, what actually happened to that study, but there was a study that was at, taking place uh, around this. so this is still very much a, a thing that's out there.
1: Yeah, I see it uh I see it on groupon all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I just so one of the big ones is Oxford Recovery Center. A lot of these pseudoscience places use names that sound like legitimate science places. So, like, just because it says Oxford in the name does not mean you should trust them. No. And the last one I have is shellation therapy. Ugh. This This is, again, a real medical science that is used for cases of heavy metal poisoning it is special medication that is used to flush the heavy metals out of the body it is extremely toxic and dangerous when used when not used correctly and that's why it is like only used if you have heavy metal poisoning
1: yeah not autism
0: now so this is one of those things where it is Based on the idea that autism may be caused by mercury poisoning, which has been disproven. There's whole things on that. So mercury poison is not the problem. But because of this, people are convinced that this is the cure. And just in 2005, a five-year-old died from this. Um, his father was a British doctor and brought him to the U.S. to receive this treatment.
1: I remember seeing this in the news because didn't the UK want to charge the parents with like with manslaughter or something? I could be wrong I don't on that. Know. I, I remember that really... they they caught a lot of heat from the UK courts but I can't remember exactly you know if they charged them or anything but I know uh, yeah they didn't have a good time.
0: No. And there was also a bit about the doctors involved with this were saying that this isn't toxic and is completely safe, and that they couldn't prove that he died directly from it, because he had, like, a heart attack or something. <sighs> but they, they were also saying that, generally with children, when they would give them this treatment, it's with a ointment that goes in the mouth or something, and they were using injections instead, which a lot of doctors like, we would never do that to a child, even if they did have heavy metal poisoning. So... Yeah, this is just problematic all around. Don't do this chelation therapy.
1: Don't do it. I think,
0: I think now we're at that point where, known, it's a known no-no. But there was definitely a time where parents were lying to doctors about lead poisoning to try to get this therapy. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay, that's all the the crazy nut job stuff I have for today.
1: <laughs> These. Oh, I can't even say it. If I look at it, I can't say it. Pse- pseudoscience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And I, and I know that there's probably a bunch of our listeners have probably at least looked into a bunch of these. I know you've looked into a bunch of these already mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's do your research. Don't land on just the site that's trying to sell it to you. Look at what doctors say. Use logic here. occasionally you get something that isn't harmful but there just isn't a lot of studies behind it if you want to give it a try talk to your doctor basically talk to your doctor
1: talk to your doctor
0: oh most doctors now are a little more aware that this that some of this stuff isn't harmful there when it came to like like, fad diets. A few years ago, a lot of doctors were just like, no, this is nothing, don't do it. But now, they're a little more like, we don't know There's if there's nothing to it, so if you want to try it, use caution. Mm-hmm. So so there has been a shift in that attitude. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Glengotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. Got some... Wizarding World news, not a lot this month. Really doesn't seem like a whole lot has happened this month. I know. Got some rumors that Fantastic Beasts 3 might become a HBO Max exclusive instead of a theatrical release.
1: I think that would be smart.
0: Again, it's just a bunch of rumors from the same rumor mill that people keep believing for some reason. Even though they keep getting disproven. <laughs> In our new news... Tom Felton ran into Bertie Gilbert on their way to a screening of In the Heights. Bertie Gilbert played Scorpius Malfoy in Deathly Hallows Part 2. So they had a little reunion. <laughs> There's a movie prop auction, which will be over by the time this episode goes up, but is going on shortly after we record. So this was the very end of June. There is a movie prop auction through the prop store which is a popular movie prop auction house and so they got a bunch of harry potter stuff going up in this one there's a golden snitch which is the executive gift from the first movie so there was like 50 of them made so that one's estimated to go for two to three thousand dollars the envelope from ron's howler is expected to go for four to six thousand there's an autographed copy of *Prisoner of Azkaban* expected to go to, for a thousand to fifteen hundred. It's a cast autographed book. There's the the hero acceptance letter with the open envelope expected to go for eight to ten thousand dollars. Which I've seen where the hero envelope that was not opened had sold probably a little bit back. Um, but this one is the opened hero envelope with the hero acceptance letter, and then the daily profit with Dumbledore to after dangerous expected to go to four to six thousand dollars. There's a cast signed call sheet expected to go for twelve to eighteen hundred dollars, and then there's a few pieces that are benefiting Lumos, and so those are Harry's glasses from Deathly Hallows Part Two. Expect to go for thirty to fifty thousand. Harry's wand from *Deathly Hallows* Part One expected to go for thirty to fifty thousand, and then a hardcover book set with each book individually signed by J.K. Rowling. Expect to go for eight to ten thousand. And then the last piece of news I got is that Richard Robinson, who um, was he was head of Scholastic for over forty years, died on June fifth. He was eighty-four. So J.K. Rowling put out a statement saying that he was wise, kind, and humane man who leaves behind an extraordinary legacy in the world of children's literature, so... Nice. So, that's all I got for today. If you want to join our conversation, you can always send us some owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. You can send us a howler by sending us a voice memo there, clicking link in the description, giving us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Spectrum People, facebook.com slash spewcast. or on Instagram at spewcod. And we are also on TikTok at spewcast as well.
0: And as always, our theme music is by Joan Burr. And until next time, I'm Quirinus.
1: And I'm Lavender.
0: And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.